Welcome to the 62nd episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we are here to discuss UFC 274 and we're going to do a nice recap for that. And once we're done with UFC 274, we are going to talk about some recent fight announcements. Um, over the last week, the UFC has booked 10 more fights, so we're going to quickly go through those. And after that, we are going to do a quick preview of next week's fight card, which is headlined by Jan Blachowicz and Alexander Rakic. Now, obviously, we are going to start right at the main event of UFC 274, which was Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje. And before we get into this, just beware this discussion of this fight is really interesting to me. So I think this is going to go on for a decent amount of time because we're going to talk about the fight itself. We're going to talk about the weight cut. And then now we're in a, a really interesting title picture. So there's a lot to discuss with that. So this discussion of Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gagey could go on a minute. Um, that's just a warning for you there. So um, to start, we're going to start with the fight, obviously. This was a tremendous fight and a great showing from Charles Oliveira. And I think Justin Gagey performed well to a point, obviously not well enough to get the victory, but he did some things in there as well that were very impressive um, early on, obviously. We had a lot of striking exchanges. Justin Gaethje was throwing a lot of heavy, heavy shots and really trying to put Charles out, which I don't think is a bad game plan because if if you were thinking, hey, Charles gets rocked a little bit, let me try and hit him real hard and see if I can get him out of there. Not a terrible game plan. However, Charles Oliveira was able to withstand some of those shots. I think that a little bit more volume from Gagey would have been a little bit more helpful, but um, no, nothing too crazy there. That's just a small critique. But overall, Charles Oliveira looked tremendous in this fight. He had a lot of success on the feet, culminating in his big, big knockdown that he got there late in that fight. And... Throughout the course of this fight, Charles Oliveira was knocked down twice. Once was, I think, was a legit knockdown. And once, I think, was a little... I think Charles does this, th does this thing where sometimes he'll get hit real hard. But it's not really, you know, wouldn't knock him down. And he'll just fall down to see if he can get his opponent to jump in his guard. Which, not a bad play. It gives him the opportunity to take the fight to the ground without having to go get a takedown. And it also gives him the opportunity to rest for 5 to 10 seconds. So I think that is very helpful to, to him. And I think we saw that at least once in this Gaethje fight. Um, but I, at the same time, like I said, I think the one um, was a, a very legit knockdown from Gaethje. And the striking from Charles looked very good in this fight. Once again, he did a very, very good job in the clinch. And Gaethje had a good game plan for the clinch strikes as well. Gaethje was working very hard to land some big shots um, on, on the exit from the clinch, which, which was a very good game plan um, from himself and Trevor Whitman. But ultimately, um, Charles was still winning some of those exchanges. And then, like I said, he lands a big shot, knocks Gagey down, and is able to get on top. And from there, Gagey was really in a lot of trouble. Um, not only was he dazed and confused, but he had Charles Oliveira on top of him working for submissions. And when you, compare, when you combine those two things together, um, you're in a tough spot. There's no doubt about that. 
And I really liked the way that Charles grappled in this sequence. He won several scrambles. He made some really good transitions. He, he attempted three different submissions. He, he did a triangle, transitioned that to an arm bar, eventually ended up with the rear naked choke. And once he got on the back of Justin Gaethje with the body lock, um, body triangle, he, he was going to put him out, and that's exactly what happened. And Charles Oliveira walks away with the win, but not his belt. Now, um, we're going to talk a lot about this weight cut here now because this is also very interesting. And it really played a big role in his whole performance because it completely changed the way this fight. It, it, it changed the stakes of this fight, and it hurts Charles Oliveira's legacy greatly. Um, so I think it's important to discuss. And ironically enough, when I recorded the preview episode for UFC 274, I said, hey, um, I'm doing this before the weigh-ins, so if there's any issues at weigh-ins, I, you know, I, I missed it. And come to find out, there was a big issue at weigh-ins. And I, I really don't think that Charles Oliveira had a fair shake in this one. And that is coming from a person who has historically been very tough on people who don't make weight. And I myself wrestled in high school, so I know a little bit about cutting weight. I've done it myself. I've seen friends and teammates do it. Um, not to the extent that UFC fighters do it. Their weight cuts are very different than uh, a wrestling weight cut just based off the frequency um, and severity. Uh, two very different weight cuts, but still similar in a way, the actual process. Now, um, so with that being said, I, I'm usually very strict on making weight. I, I really don't think there are many excuses um, for missing weight. However, I think there were a lot of things in play in this one that really, really just left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, first of all, the differences between the hotel scales and the official scale is very, very important. I don't think there is any situation where a hotel scale should be and, and let me say this first um the hotel scale was rumored to be 0.5 to two pounds over uh, or excuse me under so um for charles if he weighed in at 155 on the hotel scale and then 155.5 on the official scale that would account for that 0.5 pound difference some people were saying it was two in all reality it's probably closer to that 0.5 pound difference um and that is a very tough thing because if Charles was working to make the weight the night before and he got on the scale and said, all right, I'm 155 and then went to weigh-ins and is now 155.5, that is, that's really, really tough because it's not really his fault that he checked on a scale, made weight, and, and that's a scale provided by the UFC. So if you can check on a scale provided by the UFC and say, all right, I'm 155. Now I'm going to go to bed and get a good night's sleep. And uh, we'll wake up and weigh in in the morning for the officials. And then time come and you are now overweight. Um, that, that just seems like something that is really out of his control. Um, not to mention the fact that before you step on the official scale, you have to weigh in prior. Um, so on a different scale so in total of three scales charles was on on two of them and he's not on the official scale 
that that doesn't seem quite right. And and I know the critique of that is that other fighters also had to weigh in on that same scale. So how did this issue not occur more frequently? Well, first of all, if there's a 0.5 difference between all of the scales for the fighters who are weighing in in non-championship bouts, those fighters could have came in at 155.5 and then stepped on the scale at 156 and have been fine um, or whatever weight they were at. So in reality, it really had higher stakes on the on the four championship fighters who were weighing in to make championship weight. And um, with the beam scale, it provides some more room for error and user error. So it really muddies the water there. Um, but ultimately, I'm not sure that Charles is at fault for missing weight here. There's just a lot of working pieces that um, didn't seem to go his way. And all of those pieces were out of his control. And not to mention, when you look at past issues with fighters who have almost missed weight, Charles did not get the same treatment as those fighters. Looking back at Habib's fight against Justin Gaethje, um, that was over in Abu Dhabi. And if you look at the way the guy actually mans the balance scale, um, it looks as if Habib misses weight. The, the, the little bar that you have to wait for it to stop, it didn't stop, and then it, it hits the top. So... In reality, it looks as if Habib was higher than that 155-pound limit. And we have seen DC, and I believe Kelvin Gastelum have, has done it in the past with DC in a championship fight, put his hand on the towel. That relieves some pressure off the scale, takes a pound or two off, now you make weight. Now, um, that's I'm not saying that to bring down Habib or DC, but I'm saying that as, you know, we've seen fighters with issues in the past that got the benefit of the doubt on the scale, right? Charles Oliveira did not get any benefit of the doubt when we've seen others get that benefit of the doubt. So in my opinion, it's just that when, when you have scales that are running differently, when you have, you know, a guy at the scale who really, really wants to make sure Charles is exactly 155, you know, all of those things working together really put a damper on this whole way in and it really leads me to not dismiss Charles too much in here and I've seen a lot of people also say oh well Charles has missed weight at 145 and he's missed weight a handful of times um, for me I don't really care about that and I don't care about that for the same reason as well first of all it's a completely different weight class so let's first of all throw that out there but at the same time that seems to me a lot like people who called Charles Oliveira a quitter. There were a lot of people who called Charles Oliveira a quitter when he was at 145, and we've seen no quit of him since in, in throughout these championship bouts. So I'm not going to hold something against him that he did a handful of years ago, um, and I'm not going to hold that against him today in the now. So I'll just say that I don't care that he missed weight at 145. Right. So overall, throughout this weight discussion, I could care less that he missed weight and it's a shame that, you know, there were some things out of his control that didn't go his way. So I have no issue with Charles Oliveira missing the weight in this circumstance based on some of the things we saw and some of the previous results that we've seen from Wayans. And the last thing I'll add to this discussion is that can we get digital scales, right? There is absolutely no reason why 
the UFC, and I don't even know if this is the UFC's fault. I imagine this is more on athletic commissions, but why do we need those balance scales? Can we just get a digital scale, right? And you just put the result of the digital scale, you know, on a, on a big screen or something behind them. You just put a camera, run an HDMI cord to the TV, and then you see 155 or, or whatever the weight is, right? And, and, and that is something that I think needs to be done. There's less error in those scales. It gives you a more accurate reading. For example, how did Charles Oliveira go from 155.5, go to cut weight, and come back at 155.5? It's not because he didn't lose any weight. It's because he's on the balance scale. And there's less and there's less um, accuracy, right? So just I've been on this train, and I've spoke about it on Twitter as well. Going back several fights, I think I, I honestly think I, I talked about this all the way back to when Gaethje fought Habib. That hey, if we just have this, just get the digital scale, and it's not an issue anymore. We don't have to have these discussions with the digital scale, and you just get the three. Say you want a digital scale of the hotel, you want a digital scale before the fighters go out to the official scale, and say you want the official scale. Say you, those are the three scales you want. You just get them all calibrated on the Wednesday or Thursday before the fight. You have an official from the commission who deal with getting all the scales in their designated area. Right? It shouldn't be that big of an issue. And as long as all the scales are calibrated, you won't have an issue. Um, as long as, you know, it, it shouldn't be really be a problem doing, and we shouldn't be having this problem anymore in the UFC. So, um, that's not really the funnest discussion to have. So now we are going to move on to a little bit more, a more enjoyable discussion of what is next for Charles Oliveira and what is next for Justin Gaethje. Now, obviously Charles Oliveira is no longer the champion. However, he is the number one contender. The UFC said before the fight that he is the number one contender with a win. And during the fight, he choked out Justin Gaethje in the first round. So even if the UFC wasn't already committed to giving him the championship fight with a win, he went out there and finished Justin Gaethje in the first round. And I believe he is the first fighter to ever do that. So even if he wasn't already the number one contender, he... he he has that number one contender spot cemented. So, um, in any championship fight at 155 pounds as of right now, Charles Oliveira will be the first guy on that sheet. Now, with that being said, we're looking for the second guy. And I think the number one option here is Islam Makhlchev. And I am... I, for a while, have not been committed to the idea of giving Islam a title shot. Just based off the fighters he has beat, he hasn't really earned that. Wins over the likes of Dan Hooker, who is ranked 13th, Bobby Green, who is unranked. Um, I, I, um, he, he drew Dober, excuse me and Tiago Moises, you know, a lot of guys, his highest ranked win is Dan Hooker at 13, and Dan Hooker was going through a lot of outside circumstances coming into that fight, and then three guys who are unranked. It's really not the most impressive resume for a championship fight, in my opinion. However, 
Um, looking at the division, you've got Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler, all names that Charles Oliveira has already beat. You've got Benil Dariush, who is currently injured. And you've got Rafael Dos Anjos at seven, right? So I think uh, just out of those names, I think Islam Makhlchev makes the most sense. And I think there is an underlying storyline that is very interesting. And I think this is an interesting stylistic matchup as well. So um, let's start with the underlying storyline. Islam Makhlchev, obviously, friend. I, I don't know the exact relation if he is related to Habib, but at minimum, he's a friend of Habib and... Habib, DC, and everyone at AKA has been saying for years, this is the next best sense, Habib. So I think that's an interesting storyline going in because now I've seen the talks of who's better between Charles Oliveira and Habib. I've seen those talks really spice up and I'm not ready to commit to either side of that. I think at the end of the day, um, it's a little bit of a premature discussion because of Charles Oliveira's status as an active lightweight and Charles Oliveira could go on to defend this belt zero more times and then we're not really having a discussion. He could go on to defend the belt 15 times and then we're not having a discussion because he's he's be the best lightweight of all time by a mile. So I'm not really entertaining that discussion as of yet but for the people who are Islam Makhlchev versus Charles Oliveira is the closest you can get to Habib Nurmagomedov versus Charles Oliveira. And that in itself is interesting. And then when you look at the stylistic matchup, the grappling between someone who is a tremendous Sambo um, practitioner and a tremendous wrestler on one hand, and then you have the guy on the other hand who has the most submissions in UFC history and is one of the best Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioners in the UFC at the current moment and of all time. And I think just those grappling exchanges would be so fun to watch. And at the same time, the striking exchanges, you know, you'd really be left questioning what's going to happen on the feet. How quick are these guys going to attempt a takedown? You know, does Islam want to go to the ground with Charles right away? Um, are, are they going to try and have success on the feet before they try utilizing their ground games? I think there's a lot of questions here that really make this an interesting fight um, stylistically and from that overarching storyline like I just said. So I think Islam Makhlchev versus Charles Oliveira makes a lot of sense to me. And um, the only other fight that we've really heard for Charles would be Conor McGregor. And I am not really bullish on that idea. And I don't think many people are. I think that a lot more people are interested in seeing Connor against the likes of Gaethje or Michael Chandler or going up to 170 and taking on someone like Diaz or Miles Vidal or anyone else at one. I don't want to say anyone else at 170, but um, I think there are just other options that are more appealing to the audience for Connor McGregor and. At the end of the day, I think that it makes a lot more sense for the UFC to not rush Conor back in the title shot because they would probably face a lot of backlash for that. Um, and in terms of the rematches, um, the three big rematches for Charles would be Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler, and Justin Gaethje. Um, I'm not really interested in seeing any of those right now. Looking at just 
when when you get a first round finish over Justin Gaethje, I don't think there's any credence to the fact that you should do a rematch, um, especially with the circumstances of this fight. I imagine with the weight cut and those issues that presented itself from that, um, I think that that probably damaged Charles Oliveira's performance more than improved it. Um, when you think about cutting more weight, when you think about taking the having less time to rehydrate, the emotional stress of losing your belt, losing a large percentage of your purse, and which ends up being several hundreds several hundreds of thousands of dollars, those things combining couldn't at all help Charles Oliveira's performance in that octagon. So I'm not bold on that Justin Gaethje rematch. Justin Poirier, not bold on that. I just I just think that based off what we saw, I, I'm not convinced that you give Dustin every match without him going out there and fighting someone else. And then Chandler, I think Chandler would have the most credence to a rematch, but I'm not necessarily sure that that makes sense. I think that Chandler should lean into that big fight category and we're going to talk about more we're going to talk more about that in a second um when we talk about tony versus chandler because i think chandler's in an interesting position matchmaking wise so we're going to talk at length about that and then um for justin gaethje i think he's got two big options here i think that his options are dustin poirier for the second time, I think that fight makes a lot of sense because these guys are pretty much at the same exact, well, I shouldn't say same exact position in their career, but they both lost to Habib and Charles for the belt, um, both coming off losses to Charles Oliveira. I think that it makes a level of sense. They're ranked two and three in the division right now. So I think these guys are in a similar position to where a, the winner would be very close to earning a title shot depending on how the division plays out over the next six months to a year so i think that would be beneficial for both guys and for the fans i think that's an all-time great fight as long as it is five rounds make that fight five rounds um and i think it's an all-time great fight that would be incredibly interesting and then the other fight for gaethje is connor connor has obviously talked a little bit about fighting a lot of, he's talked he's talked a lot about fighting a lot of people, but I think Gaethje makes a level of sense. That would be a fun fight. That'd be a fun lead up. Um, those two guys have beef, so there'd be plenty of trash talk. And as far as the fight itself, I think that fight's interesting. the The striking exchanges would be wild to watch. And then, in terms of the landscape of this division, if Connor really wants to make a run at that 155 pound title. I think that a win over Justin Gaethje would set him up perfectly to fight for that belt and fight the winner of Charles Oliveira versus Islam Makhlchev. Now, now that we are done talking about Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje, we're going to move on to discuss Rose Namajunas versus Carla Esparza. And there isn't really much to talk about in this one um, because there really wasn't much that happened during this fight. The... The one thing that I will say is I the biggest critique I had of this fight was the fact that Rose was willingly giving up octagon control in a lot of situations. So what I mean by that is there were moments where Carla had her foot. She, she was standing in between the cage and that black line that goes around the octagon. 
And Rose would just back up, back up, back up, back up, and now they're standing in the monster um, logo. And I just have no clue why in those scenarios Rose would just let Carla get her back off the fence, and now they're back in the open doing the same thing they were doing. I think in a lot of those situations, Rose should have shot that blast double that she did in the fifth round, tried to get some ground control, or she could have really attempted some strikes. She was defending the takedown well. So if you can attempt some strikes with Carla's back against the fence, I think that is beneficial as well. But overall, this fight was probably the worst fight of all time, if not top three worst fights of all time. So I'm not really going to talk much more about the fight. And Actually, one more thing I will say about the actual fight is I don't think Pat Barry should be in Rose Namajunas' corner. Rose, with with Trevor Whitman in your corner, I think you should just give the keys to Trevor Whitman and let him coach, right? Aside from Saturday night where Rose Namajunas lost and Justin Gaethje lost, Trevor Whitman had was a, was riding into this on one of the biggest hot streaks as a coach in a long time based off Gaethje's performances, based off Rose's performances, and Kamara Usman's performances all have been tremendous. So I think you just let Trevor Whitman coach. I think there were times where, where we were hearing advice from Pat Barry that was not the best advice. And at sometimes the advice between Trevor Whitman and Pat Barry were, you know, complete opposites. On one hand, you have Ro- you have Pat saying, all right, keep, keep doing the same thing. You're doing great. You're winning. And then you have Trevor Whitman on the other hand saying, pick up the activity. We need a little bit more out of you. And I don't think that's good to hear two voices that aren't on the same page in your corner. And I think that sometimes having someone who is that that high up in your life, like your husband, um, I think that it can be tough for someone with that emotional connection to coach and still be your husband at the same time. Even if she wants him in the corner for emotional support, I respect that. But um I just think that sometimes you have to take your personal life out of your business life, and I think that would be beneficial for Rose um, in this one. And, and you know, I may be wrong on that, but I just think that especially based off this performance and based off the things we were hearing from the corner, um, I'm not sure that it is the best idea to continue to have Pat Barry in your corner. And now um, we're going to move into a little bit of a di- different direction and talk about what is next for Rose Namajunas and Carla Esparza? And let me just say this first. I don't think we see that rematch at all. Um, just based off what Rose has done, I think she has one title defense. Yeah, she's got one defense against Wei Li. And, you know, this fight doesn't really call for a rematch. I think it'd be tough to sell that again to fans. I think you have to bring in someone fresh to fight for the belt after that fight. Um, and the UFC and Dana White have not been high on making that fight again either. So what is next for both of these fighters? Carla Esparza, I think it makes a lot of sense for her to fight the winner of Yuana Yonjaychik and Wei Li Zhang. Now, um, I think that, you know, on one hand, I say there needs to be f- fresh blood in the title picture. However, if Wei Li or Yuana can go out there and if one of those fighters goes out there and gets a win, it'd be one of the better wins in that division. And I think that a win over Ioana or Wei Li holds enough power to get you a title shot. And that is my thought process on that. So I say Carla versus the winner of Ioana and Wei Li. 
And for Rose, I think you go Marina Rodriguez. If I were to have to give someone a title shot not named Joanna or Wei Lee, I would go Marina Rodriguez. And I think that's a good opportunity for Marina to go out there and get a win over a former champion and someone who is still viewed highly upon in that division. And at the same time, for Rose to get a win over Marina Rodriguez, that would also give her an opportunity to fight the winner of Carla Esparza versus Joanna Orwe-Lee, whoever she ends up fighting. So I think that would put the winner of Rose versus Marina in a very good spot. So I think that makes sense for all of those fighters involved. Now, we are going to move on to Tony Ferguson versus Michael Chandler. And let me just say this. First off, one of the best knockouts of all time from Michael Chandler. Now, um, there isn't really much to say other than that, you know, he was able to line that front kick up and throw it at the perfect time and get the perfect knockout. So, um, tremendous, tremendous kick from Michael Chandler. I don't know what else there is to say about that knockout. So now we are going to move on to the discussion of Tony Ferguson because I think this is really interesting what we saw from Tony Ferguson. In the first round, we saw Tony Ferguson drop Michael Chandler. And we saw Tony Ferguson on his back throwing elbows. We saw Tony Ferguson smiling, having fun. It really did look like the Tony Ferguson of of old. And if you listened to my preview for UFC 274, I was interested to see if we were going to get the Tony Ferguson that fought Benil Dariush, that fought Charles Oliveira, that fought Justin Gaethje, or were we going to see the, the Tony Ferguson that fought someone like Donald Cerrone, that fought Anthony Pettis, that fought Edson Barbosa. And that that's really where my head was at. I, I didn't know which Tony we were going to see. And in this performance, I, I think we saw, despite this despite the loss in the second round, I think we saw vintage Tony. We saw Tony in there having fun. We saw Tony in there landing some strikes. We saw Tony in there getting knocked down. We saw vintage Tony. And that that really, really got me excited. And if you were to tell me prior to this fight that Michael Chandler would absolutely flatline Tony Ferguson, I would say Tony should retire. But based off what we saw from Tony in this fight, I think Tony should continue fighting. I'm probably higher on Tony Ferguson after this performance than I was after the Darius performance or after the Oliveira performance. So I, I still think highly of Tony Ferguson, and I think we've seen a good career revival from Tony. And I'm interested to see where Tony, who Tony fights next. And... Um, I don't think there's any discussion of the chin being gone because I, I think that front kick puts out puts out a horse, right? If he were to land that front kick on a heavyweight, hey, that heavyweight's going down. You know, I, I there's no question in my mind that uh, that Michael Chandler would have put anyone out with that, so I'm not necessarily worried about Tony's chin um, based off that. Now, in his next fight, we'll, we'll be have to watch out because sometimes you get knocked out like that and, and you know, your, your chin is kind of gone after that. There's a level to that. Um, I think that is something we should keep our eye on for the future, but I don't think that holds enough weight at, in the present moment to hang it up. Um, now, um, let's, let's get a little bit more into who each of these fighters is going to fight next. Michael Chandler is in maybe the most interesting position out of everyone that we've seen. 
He called for a title shot. He called for Conor McGregor. And there's a couple of other fights out there that he didn't call for in his post-fight that I think are also very possible. And I don't think that we see the rematch with Charles Oliveira right now. I just think that for Michael Chandler, it makes more sense to go explore some of those other options and kind of lean into that big fight um, category. And I think there are a lot of big fights and interesting fights out there for him that don't necessarily... Um, involve the belt, but could get him one step closer to a title shot um, with a win and could really build some hype for that rematch and or or a fresh fight against Islam Makhlchev if Islam is able to go out there and win. And um, the, the fights that I'd be interested in for Michael Chandler, um, Conor McGregor is one, Dustin Poirier is another, and Nate Diaz is a third. So, um, just kind of explain where my head at, where my head is at with all of those. Let's start with Conor McGregor. Obviously, if you are leaning into the big fight, um, if you're leaning into the big fight side of things and less into the championship side of things, Conor McGregor should be the first name on your list. And as far as Michael Chandler versus Conor McGregor. I think that makes a level of sense for Conor as well. Once again, a win over Conor or a win over Michael Chandler is very meaningful in the landscape of that division, and would get him close to a title shot. Um, I'm interested to see how the UFC would look at that if it were to take place at 170. Now, um, even if it takes place at 170, I imagine the UFC would look at that at like a 155 pound fight. Or maybe they would give Connor, you know, the benefit of the doubt and just give him, give him a big fight or title fight at 170. I'd be interested to see the fallout of that. But nonetheless, Michael Chandler versus Connor McGregor is fireworks. Um, I'd be interested to see Michael Chandler's game plan going into that. Are we seeing Are we seeing a blast double and some ground and pound early? Are we seeing Are we seeing Chandler and Connor go in there and throw? What are we gonna see? Um, I think that. I think that level of question makes makes it a more interesting fight, and I think the possibility of a war also makes that an interesting fight. So I think that Chandler versus Connor makes sense, and I think a highlight reel knockout um, would go ways in terms of building hype for that fight. Now, um, Dustin Poirier is the other option. Um, this comes simply from a place of enjoyment, right? I think Chandler versus Dustin Poirier might be one of the funnest fights you can make. We've seen a lot of these matchups already. We've seen Dustin Dustin versus Gaethje. We've seen Gaethje versus Chandler. We've seen Poirier versus or we see, we've seen Gaethje versus Alvarez. We've seen um, Chandler versus Alvarez. We've seen a lot of these guys who are willing to go out there and get in a war. Um, we've seen a lot of those fights take place. We haven't seen Poirier versus Chandler, so that's where my mind is at with that. And similar to Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler, I think the winner of that would put themselves right back in title contention. So I think that is also um, another crucial aspect of that fight that is important to remember. Not only are you getting a potential fight of the year, but you are getting potentially um, a number one uh, contenders match. So um, combining those two things together, I think Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler makes a lot of sense, both for Chandler as for Poirier, 
as for the fans, as for the UFC. Just makes a lot of sense. Now, um, the last name that we threw in the discussion here was Nate Diaz. This is obviously also big fight territory. Chandler versus Diaz is, you know, one of those fights that you're not doing that for a title shot. You're doing that for pure enjoyment. And looking at this situation, the only reason I'm really talking about this is because, you know, Nate said he wanted to fight, I believe, July 30th at 170. And Chandler responded and said, hey, I, I'm down for 170 on July 30th. So that's kind of where this discussion is stemming from. And to me, this is the Conor fight with less title implications. I think you're getting one of the biggest stars in the sport and adding a win over Nate Diaz to your resume is very meaningful. I think a lot of fans would be very, very interested in that fight. And nonetheless, that would make two incredible pay-per-views and put them back to back. Um, if you didn't know, we'll talk about it later in the fight bookings section, but July 2nd is going to be a stacked card and um, there's going to be another pay-per-view on July 30th. So adding a Chandler and Diaz fight on that July 30th card would really put the UFC in a good spot for two incredible back-to-back pay-per-views. You're obviously going to want a title shot on that July 30th card as well. Um, however, that's really one of the fights that you can make right away and decide, hey, we're, we'll be in a good spot early. So, um, like I said, I think that fight is a fun fight that makes a lot of sense. If Chandler can go out there and get a win over Nate Diaz, that obviously adds to his resume and adds to his legacy and really gets him some more hype going into a potential rematch or potential title fight. So, I, I like that fight as well. At the end of the day, I think Michael Chandler is in such a good position that whether you match him up with Poirier, whether you rematch him with Gaethje, whether you give him Connor, whether you give him Diaz, I think at the end of the day, he's in such a good spot that any of those fights works just based off his 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 level of talent and his level of hype and fandom. Um, just that those those things working together really gives him a lot of options. Now, um, we are already th about 35 to 40 minutes into this one, so we are going to really quickly talk about the rest of this card and move on. Ovin St. Prue got a nice win over Mauricio Shogun Hua. Um, the split decision, but I really think Ovin St. Prue won this. I think he was in control a good amount of the time. And I hope Ovin St. Prue stays active and stays at 205 because I think he can work himself back into those rankings. Randy Brown got a decision win over Chaos Williams. Now, I kind of disagreed with this. I think Chaos won. Um, I haven't rewatched it, so I'm not going to be too upset over this decision. I'm still very high on Chaos Williams, and if you scored this fight for Randy Brown, I think it's close enough to where I'm not upset of that at all. But um, I think both these guys are in really good spots. Randy Brown is now at 15 and 4, so he's going to be working himself towards those rankings. He still has a couple fights to go, but he is in a good spot. Chaos Williams, um, at 170, there's a lot of options for someone like Chaos Williams who isn't ranked but gets in fun fights. Francisco Trinaldo versus Danny Roberts. Trinaldo um, showed that he's not out of the game yet. Got a good win over Danny Roberts. Macy Chizan versus Norma Dermont. Um, I think this might make Macy Chizan the 
number one contender at 145 pounds, but who really knows? Now, Brandon Roy Vol versus Matt Snell. Let me say this again. This should have been on the main card. I don't know why it wasn't. You have two ranked fighters. How are you going to build them any hype by stuffing them in the prelims? wasn't even the main event of the prelims. It was below a 145-pound women's fight where there aren't even rankings for this division, and they put two ranked fighters at 125 pounds below them. So don't even get me started on that. If you can't tell, I don't think it makes any sense. But um, per- great performance from Brandon Roy Vall. Matt Schnell went in there and also put on a fight. And I don't think Brandon Roy Vall is quite towards a title shot yet. I think he's got one to go. And there's also talks about Kaikar France versus Brandon Moreno for an interim title shot. I think that fight probably happens next. It is not official, however. So, um, I would look at that, and Brandon Royval probably gets someone in the top three of that division, and he is such an entertaining fighter. Pantoja and Askar Askarov both make a level of sense for Brandon Royval. Matt Schnell also going to continue to fight ranked fighters. Um, hopefully, he works himself up those rankings. Blagnoy Ivanov kept his spot in the rankings against Marcos Rodrero de Lima. Very close fight. I think it could have went either way. So um, I don't think de Lima is on too big of a slide here after this one. I think he's still in a good spot in the heavyweight division. Andre Fialo versus Cameron Van Camp. Fialo got himself a nice knock, knock, knockout. He's now 16-4 and four with wins over Miguel Baeza, Cameron Van Camp, and a couple other UFC fighters. Only loss is to Michelle Herrera. So, um, I don't think he's going to be fighting ranked competition next, but I think he is just on the outside of that. Now, Tracy Cortez and Melissa Gatto. This is the last fight we'll discuss from this card. Um, Very impressive win from Tracy Cortez. Melissa Gatto is no um, slouch. Tracy Cortez is now ranked number 15 in that division, so she is definitely going to be getting a ranked fight next. So, Um, Shout out to her for that. All right, that is going to wrap up our discussion of UFC 274. Now we are going to move right in to the 10 fight announcements that were made in the last week. This is also going to be quick. Um, First of all, we had Manal Cape versus Rodrero Bontorin on June 11th. Um, Good fight, makes a lot of sense, um, and it should be an entertaining fight. Armin Sarukian versus Matez Gamrat, June 25th. This also makes a lot of sense. Two guys who are up-and-comers in that division have the chance to separate themselves from a couple of the other up-and-comers and and really get up into that um, top tier of competition at 155 pounds. And that is June 25th. Now, we had three fights get booked for that July 2nd card, and they are some fun ones. First off, the main event will be Israel Adesanya versus Jared Cannonier on July 2nd. This is a great card, um, and everyone knew this fight was going to take place. I'm happy we've got it booked, signed, sealed, and delivered. So, um, Izzy versus Cannonier, July 2nd. The co-main for that will be Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway. Possibly um, Two of the fights that I will be looking forward to the most in the coming months are going to be on the same card together. 
and um, what looks to be a prelim fight that should be a lot of fun. Robbie Lawler versus Brian Barbarena will also be on that July 2nd card. Makes a lot of sense for Barbarena and Robbie Lawler. They'll go in there and get no war. So shout out to those guys. And also on that card was Pedro Munoz versus Sean O'Malley. So that fight will probably open the pay-per-view. And that should be a tremendous fight. So that July 2nd card is looking great. Um, moving on to July 9th, we had two fights get booked. So this will be a fight night. And we have RDA versus Rafael Faziv. This fight's getting rebooked. Makes a lot of sense. I'm happy with this fight. And then a much more interesting fight, Cody Garbrandt versus Ronnie Yanha. Um, I am absolutely befuddled that this fight was made. I thought that, well, I knew that, you know, Cody Garbrandt probably would be getting someone in the lower portion of those rankings, um, probably an up-and-comer. Um, I'm very surprised it was Ronnie Yanha. Ronnie Yanha is a little bit older and not exactly an up-and-comer. So I'm surprised that this fight was made, but um, it gives Cody Garbrandt an opportunity to get on track. But at the same time, if Ronnie Yanha wins, Cody Garbrandt is going to be in a very, very bad spot. Now, um, Megamed Ankalev and Anthony Smith are going to be on July 30th. That should be a fight that will get one of those guys, the winner, a title shot after... Um, well, maybe not. The light heavyweight division has a couple of title contenders, but worst case scenario, those guys will be very close to a title shot. Paulo Costa versus Luke Rockhold on August, or excuse me, July 30th as well. That should be a very fun co-main, and it'll be interesting to see if Luke Rockhold still has it in the, in the tank at 185 pounds, or if Paulo Costa can go out there and get a big win. And then the last fight that was booked, August 6th. Main event, Jamal Hill versus Tiago Santos. Another one that has major title implications, especially if Jamal Hill goes out there and gets a win. And if Megamed Ankalev, Jamal Hill, and Alexander Rakic all get wins in these upcoming fights, we're going to see a complete changing of the guard at 155, or excuse me, 205 pounds. So I think that is something to look out for. Now, um... To try and keep this episode short. Once again, we're going to go brief on next week's fight card between Jan Blachowicz and Alexander Rakic. I think this is an interesting fight, and I think this ultimately comes down to what we see from Jan Blachowicz. I think if we if we see the Blachowicz that fought Glover Teixeira, I think Rakic wins rather easily. Um, however, if we see the Jan that fought someone like Corey Anderson or Luke Rockhold or um, Israel Adesanya, I think Blahovich wins quite easily. So I think this is going to be a tale of which fighter we get from Blahovich. Ian Kutelaba versus Ryan Spann. Um, interesting fight at the latter half of that light heavyweight division. Luis Smolka versus David Grant. Not a bad bantamweight fight. Drew Kagan versus Amanda Hibas at, ooh, I think this is at 125 pounds. This is going to be very interesting for Hibas if she can go out there and get a win. It will really fast-track her to a title shot at 125 pounds. We've got Jake Hadley versus Alan Nascimento. Alan Nascimento is a training partner of Charles Oliveira. Jake Hadley is one of the um, up-and-comers at 125 pounds. Really good prospect. Did great in Cage Warriors. And then we've got Vivian Arjuno versus Andrea Lee. 
um, middle of the pack flyweight fight for these two women. Um, but the winner will push themselves a little bit closer to that title shot in a division that desperately needs challengers. Michael Johnson versus Alan Patrick. Always love watching Michael Johnson fight. He's 19-17 and 17 with wins over some of the best in the world and losses over some very average UFC caliber fighters. Very interesting. Yina Janzi Roba, Angela Hill. Always like watching Angela Hill fight. You never know what's going to happen and you never know if she's going to get robbed. Two guys I don't know much about, Carlos Candelario and Tetsuro Tayaria, um, flyweights. Um, Tetsuro is 10-0 and Candelario is 8-1, so look out for that. Another interesting fight, we've got Andre Petrosky, U Ultimate Fighter alum. He's taking on Nick Maximov, who is 8-0, and a Nate Diaz and Nick Diaz training partner, and he's on their team. So it's a not a lot of fights on this card. We've only got 11 fights. However, we've got some interesting fights. We've got some prospects. We've got one fight that has major, major title implications. We've got several ranked fighters. So um, nothing too crazy, but it is consistently interesting, and I think this will be a very fun card. And so um, if you are interested in listening to the recap for that card, that will be Next week, once that fight card takes place, we'll talk about that um, like we always do. And we will talk about what is next for some of those fighters. But most importantly, thank you for watching this episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. And that is all we have for this week. So thank you and goodbye.